you channel that the lack of motivation you have, and then you channel everything that you are, you do have to compete against or compete with at that practice, whether that's the team you're playing that week or the position you're fighting for. Welcome to Sauce Talk, a podcast exploring sports and meditation and mental training and how these things relate to living a better life. This is Billy Hansen. And before we get to the episode, I want to address my listeners in Oregon. There is a petition to get licensed psilocybin therapy on the ballot in Oregon. And the petition is about 17,000 signatures short. It already has accumulated about 129,000 signatures. And I think that this could be really, really great if we could get this on the ballot and potentially get it passed. Um, if you go to yes on ip34.org, you can sign the petition there. And I think you have to print it and send it, but I think this is worth doing and worth spreading around on social media and stuff. The early data coming back from psilocybin therapy is just bonkers in terms of how much more effective it is for treating PTSD or um, end-of-life end anxiety, eating disorders, severe trauma. It's, um, it's really an incredible tool. And apparently, my brother texted me this. He said that this type of therapy would also be available for healthy people who just want to improve their lives in some way. So um, I think it would be amazing if this got on the ballot and passed. It might be something like how the gay rights movement and marijuana legalization happened where once the first domino fell it just everything seemed to move in the right direction and i'm not pro drugs in general all the way through Um, i don't agree with the timothy leary put it in the water sentiment and i think it's very easy to misuse drugs like pot and to be derailed and misuse and not fully respect psychedelics too but to keep them illegal and to make them as illegal as things like heroin and to not let the tools of science explore these things and potentially help people and change their lives, I think is really stupid. And we need to get these tools to people quickly. And I also think this could have big environmental implications. The connection between some of these compounds and the appreciation for nature and the motivation to preserve the beauty of our world is really clear and close. So uh, if you're interested, go to yes on ip34.org or find the link in my show notes. Today's episode is going to be with Mason Montgomery. And Mason, the reason why I wanted to have Mason on the podcast is because there are only a handful of people that I've played with and or coached with and witnessed who really do fall in the category of extreme hard worker, someone who truly outworked their competition or in order to be successful. I think most athletes like to wear the title of extremely hardworking um, and to boast about how hard they're working just because being an athlete comes with a lot of hard work uh, intrinsically. But statistically speaking, there's only a subset of people who actually are crushing it so much that they're exceeding their physical potential and outworking everyone else. And Mason definitely falls in that category from what I've seen. I got to train with Mason for a few summers and being around him was really inspiring and it really helped me a lot. And it takes a lot of mental strength and its own type of mental training to be that consistent, that intense day after day. 
quickly a bit about Mason's back background. He was a star in high school in both wrestling and football. He finished his wrestling career at Ashland High School with a record of 101 and four over three years, and his senior season went 35 and 0 and won a state championship. In football, he was a four-year varsity starter at linebacker, led the team in tackling all four seasons, and broke the all-time tackling record in Ashland. Was also a two-time conference defensive player of the year. He was under-recruited because um, of his physical limitations. He was a little bit short for what high-level Division One programs want in a linebacker, and his feet, he was a little bit slow as well. So he had to. He ended up choosing Butte Community College, and had it, he just killed at Butte as well. He was a two-year starter, two-year team-leading tackler, all-conference, all-state, all-region, and was named team captain. So after six straight seasons of crushing at linebacker, he was yet again under-recruited, until finally, late in the recruiting process, he got a offer from Cal Poly and got to fulfill his dream of playing Division I football. His first year at Cal Poly, he was the backup linebacker and then fought his way to earn a starting position as a senior and yet again led the team in tackling and had a great season. He participated in a pro day after Cal Poly where he had some of the best weightlifting stats of any of the linebackers in his class. He maxed 420 pounds on bench press and put up 225 pounds 29 times, which is just insane if you ever weightlifted. And he signed a contract to play a year in Germany. So he got to play professionally in Germany for a year before hanging up the cleats. So without further delay, here is Mason Montgomery. here with Mason Montgomery. Mason, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill. All right. So being um, that you were somewhat undersized linebacker who seemed to overachieve everywhere you went, it seemed like you overachieved due to a kind of grit and persistence and work ethic and will. And I want to just name a few stories just to set the frame for some of the questions that I'm going to ask coming up. So you and I weren't friends in high school. You were a couple years younger than me, and we kind of ran in different circles. But you know, we knew each other, and I, um, I had always respected you. I loved watching you play football, and then I started to follow you as you got older in high school. And then I would come back from my summers at Regis to train, and um, our friend Jake Skarmanach, him and I would train together. And so one summer I came back, and you. Um, I remember going to the high school weight room and looking over and seeing you. I remember this uh, have a clear vi- memory of this. I think you had two plates on the squat bar and you were doing jump squats for like your warm up. So you were like kind of bouncing up and down with with uh, like 225 on the bar as a warm up. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's strong. And then Jake started inviting you to train with us and we started kind of merging our workouts a little bit. And I have another vivid memory of, so I am, we had to run miles for my basketball team. We'd have to do like one or two miles and it was timed and we'd compete. So I was in the summers always running those distances and trying to improve my time, trying to get better. And each year at Regis, I was one of the top um, on my team. So I'd run a, you know, whatever, I was either like first, second or third, a couple years I was the fastest on my basketball team. 
um, at the mile or the two miles. So you and I, um, so one day we decided that we were going to run two miles. And again, you are a five foot 10, five foot 11, 230 pound linebacker. And I'm a six, three 180 pound guard <laughs> who's in pretty good shape. And I remember you sprinting out in front of me to start the mile. And I remember thinking, okay, I'll catch him. I'll, I'll catch him. You know, I'll catch him. And then you just, you know, I started getting tired as I turned it up on the last lap and you just pushed it ahead. And I remember you beating me and then like kind of collapsing into like a pile of sweat on the, on, at the end of the track. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's a fucking killer. He's like, you know, I haven't been around someone who pushes himself this hard or is this competitive. And training with you that summer and the following summer was really eye-opening for me because you it's easy to go through your own training or your own system of workouts and you think you're getting after it because you are comparing yourself to the people that are around you. But then you run into someone who's actually getting after it at a whole nother plane or a whole nother dimension. And it forces you to reevaluate your own effort, your own consistency, your own persistence. Um, So just wanted to, I say all that just to set up, I want to talk a little bit about the mindset that goes into being gritty, outworking the people around you. How did you cultivate that in athletics? Did it something that you always had? Did you have to work on it throughout your life? You can pick up on any of those threads that I just spoke about. Okay, so first off, I need to address a couple of those things. Um, <laughs> first, the jump squats with the 225 on them. Yeah. Looking back, the more that I know about um, training and preserving my body that probably wasn't a good idea (laughs) i don't know if my back likes i don't do those anymore i haven't done them since high school i don't know if it's because i didn't want to or my body physically couldn't hold up if i did um and then that that mile we talked about this but um i wasn't feeling too good that day because i had been uh i've been out the night before so um luckily i had ran track before Mm-hmm. high school for like a year and middle school and wrestling kind of gave me that mindset so i wanted to like you said you're the, this guard i knew you're in shape you ran and uh i wanted to beat you that was the thing <laughs> i uh i set my target and I, I went for it so you probably ran that. you probably ran like a 5 30 mile that day hungover and i know that if there are any cross-country runners out there they're probably laughing at us because it's not that fast oh, but for for normal people who don't run, that's pretty fucking quick. <laughs> for Reggie's like us, that was I felt good about it, but I collapsed. I had this horrible pain in my gut, and uh, I was I was uh, I was immobile the rest of the day. I was like, what, the, what what is happening to me? I ended up not sleeping all night. I felt like I had an alien in my stomach, and then I went to the doctor the following day. And I ended up having appendicitis. I had to get my appendix removed. Jesus Christ. Uh, within like two days. And that was, I think that was the last workout I got for a month <laughs> um, before going to to like my recovery period. So that was, that was a rough. Do you think that was, rough, that wasn't triggered by the mile, was it? I don't know. I don't know if it was triggered by the hangover plus the mile. It might have been something. It was. Whatever it was, it wasn't fun. Um, God, I didn't even know that. I don't think. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. <laughs> it was bad, man. It was, but uh, we're good now. We're appendix free. Um, <laughs> and then, I think that's something that I don't know where it comes from exactly. I've seen, and I always had high 
expectations for myself. Like I was saying previously about, um, I always wanted that big scholarship and I kind of understood that, uh, it was going to be hard coming from Ashland being myself and, um, coming from what I had to work with, which again, I'm very blessed like physically, athletically. Yeah. In comparison to most, but I don't have that, that six, four frame or that, that four, five, 40. Um, so I was going to do everything I could that was in my control to give me the best opportunity. And it's kind of, it's cliche, but I mean, you got to evaluate things in your control versus things not in your control. My, my height isn't in my control. My, my, my top speed ceiling isn't in my control, but the amount of hours I put in in the weight room, that's in my control. The amount of extra running I do control, mm-hmm. whether it's stretching, whether it's even just mindfulness. So we, we've talked about this. I know we have the meditation. You do the meditation and I've picked up on that lately, which has been a huge help. I noticed that helping me, that's something in my control. Mm -hmm. Um, before I really started practicing consistent meditation, I do a lot of visualization, whether it was even in the weight room for lifting weights or if it was football or wrestling or anything I was doing, just a lot of that. And then that carries over obviously to academics professional life you have to visualize you have to keep that consistent that linear thought on whatever you're doing yeah yeah so i want to pick up on something you said in there you talk about you used visualization a lot for a lot of your you think it contributed to a lot of your success what did that look like do you have a systematic approach to visualization like do you do it at a certain time of day do you do it just when it feels appropriate or pre-game or pre-performance or you, you mentioned doing it in the weight room too. Like, are you visualizing the number of reps that you want to do before you do them? How did you implement visualization into your training performance in life? I mean, it's, it's all those things that you listed. Um, in the weight room, I'd be have a heavy squat set coming up. I'm just visualizing myself getting like busting those reps out and something as simple as a squat or a bench press or anything like that. If you, I felt a huge help if I if I saw myself doing it before I close my eyes, mm-hmm. come up, and just picture myself hitting it. Um, for football, it was the it was a film study. I felt I mean as a defensive player, I felt like it was more crucial for me to study film. So every day, every night, I'd be studying film for the upcoming opponent. Mm. Um, You're studying 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 film on your own time. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're lucky to have Huddle on our yeah. computer, little little platform that we can do that. So I'd be studying all the film I could, thirty minutes to an hour at least, daily leading up to games. And the night before, I'd usually set aside two hours. And uh, after I consumed as much as I could, I'd decompress, close my eyes, see it playing out, see these whether it's a guard pulling, how I'm going to fill the hole, this, that, and the other. I'd, kind of consume as much as I could and then decompress through visualization. And then before the game, it would come in. Um, I'd already done all my film. I'd already I'd done the work, put in the work in, weight room, film study, conditioning, everything. So it's just a matter of putting it together in my head. So yeah. again, close my eyes. About We usually have a period in the locker room. I don't know how it is with basketball exactly, but um, we come in, we do our warm-ups, we do everything. We come in, we have about a half an hour to 45 minutes to actually go out to play 
and I'd have my time. I'd have about 10 minutes to just close my eyes, say a prayer, and visualize the things I was going to do and that I had worked on all week. Mm. And that that helped me a lot. I, I remember times where I didn't do that. And it was night and day difference. I just wasn't as focused um, and I wasn't as prepared. Um, that that was huge. Foot wrestling, same thing, over and over. Mental reps. You hear that? Mental reps, mental reps. Mm-hmm. Just doing takedowns, escapes, things like that. So, I think the work that you put in mentally is just as important as physical. But the physical stuff's a little more fun sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you mentioned that that half an hour before the game, that moment when you're done warming up or you're waiting to go warm up, that there's always, in my experience, playing both baseball and basketball, there's that time in the locker room before the game that seems to, half an hour can feel like three hours because you're waiting for this big moment. And that can be a really intense time where if you don't have some mental um, routine or practice or something to put your attention on, it's easy for your mind to spin out into either aversion to what's coming, like you don't want to face the coming challenge or adversity, or you get too hyped up and too overly anxious, or your mind can spin into worry and fear about what might go wrong. So yeah, I as my career went on, especially when I regained success as a senior, I had a very deliberate routine for that time. It was some visualization while I drank my coffee like my bulletproof coffee Mm -hmm. and then deliberate meditation so like you know starting with the breath and then focusing on wide open awareness and then it was setting my intention for the game it was stuff like stuff like you said before stuff that i could control it wasn't about oh i'm gonna make this many shots or i'm gonna play this well it was when i miss a shot how am i going to react when i you know what kind of teammate am i going to going to be well how am i going to respond when i get tired or i'm playing with pain what's going to happen when someone starts talking shit to me? Am I going to get pushed over the edge or, or am I going to respond skillfully to that? So yeah, I love what you said there about that, that half an hour, that very intense half an hour when you're building up, it's important to have some mental um, practice there. 100%. So let's, uh, one thing that we talked about off air a little bit before this interview we wanted to bring up here is there's something weird about, and it's hard for me, I'm still working out my thoughts here. Uh, interesting to, to hear what you think of this, but there's a lot of self-aggrandizement and humble bragging in athletic culture about work ethic. Somehow it's become acceptable to just openly brag about how much you're working in sports with posts about yourself and about how hard you're working, about, you know, grind is life and... I mean, as, as I say this now, it's actually, you know, it's ironic that the leader of our country does stuff like this too. But uh, <laughs> some, some, uh, there were just some things that I noticed about teammates who would, who would do this, and it, it always struck me as kind of odd. And I think I fell into it a little bit too, just because it's part of the culture. It's like you, if you're an athlete, you post your workouts, you post your training, you talk about how hard you're working. But it's weird when you can, you know, when you are a scholarship athlete or you're a part of a team working hard and putting in extra work is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And you, you don't hear, you hopefully don't hear from plumbers who are posting how good of a job they're doing plumbing or teachers, you know, posting about how hard they're working. I mean, I guess you, you get some of that too, but it always struck me as a little bit odd. And it struck me as especially odd coming from the teammates who, for instance, would post something at like 4.30 a.m. in the morning 
like rise and grind, like the lion's hungry, blah, 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 all, this, all these like cliches. And then they'd show up to practice and be complete zombies waiting for it to end, going through the motions, not, not really being there and being present. So obviously stuff like that is not meant to, stuff like that is meant for the outsider's per- perception of what you are as an athlete and the people around you can see through it. And if, if you're concerned with earning your teammates respect, that's a quick way to lose it, in my opinion. And what hard work when you're really working hard, like I can attest that when I ran into you during the training, I, I witnessed someone who is actually living that life that many athletes pretend to be. I want to know what you think about that attitude towards um, broadcasting hard work versus working hard in the dark, what it means to be actually consistent about it and not just going through waves of it. Do you have anything, any thoughts on that? I have a hard time with this because I see it from a couple different angles. At one point, I've typically been the guy to, to do the work kind of in the darkness, do the silent stuff. But at the same time, every once in a while, I'll throw up a post, I'll throw up a, a snapshot, whatever it is, just because I want, because you're proud of it. I mean, you're putting your work in, you're proud, you want people to see the work you've put in. But yeah. um, I'm typically not that dude. I am a believer in um, if you're really about something, if you're really about it, you just, you're about it. You don't have to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. um, and people will know. Um, but at the same time, it's nice to get that recognition. And some people, it helps them stay accountable. So it's hard. Um, I've seen it from both, too. I've seen, like you said, the guys who are always posting about how hard they're working, but that's because they're actually insecure about the effort they're, at, they're really putting in at practice or in the weight room. Hmm. But I've seen guys post it and they're, they're putting in the work. So, um, yeah, it could, comes, lands a lot better when you're actually killing it. It, it. it doesn't offend me at all. If I, if I, if I see you really fucking getting it, then yeah, go post, post away. A hundred percent. But I think personally, I usually have more respect for dudes that won't. And then I think it's more gratifying if you see someone, you do, well, if you don't see someone and then when you finally do and you see the work that they put in coming to, for me, I respect it more. And when that happens, when it's reciprocated my way, I feel more, and I, I feel more full from it. Yeah. But, uh, it's tough, man. It's a, it's a touchy, touchy subject. Cause nowadays we have, um, you got people influencing, doing stuff where they're actually building something with it. There's a goal. But yeah. um, again, I think you got to work hard, man. I think you got to work hard and you shouldn't be dependent on what other people are seeing yeah. if you really want to get the most for yourself. Yeah, it starts with actually being about it and then and then everything falls into place. I love Damian Lillard's a great example for me of someone who handles this the right way. It's like he, you don't hear from him during the off season about his workouts Mm-hmm. He uh, he's he makes an album every off off season, and people criticize him like, "Oh, you're not in the gym, bro. Like, you, you didn't make the you know didn't even make it out of the first round last year." And then every year he shows up with like a whole new skill set and better endurance, and so he he lets his game speak about what he did in the off season. And you, you you're seeing more players in the NBA taking that approach. They'll say stuff like, "I don't have any workout videos for y'all, but yeah, just to let you know, I'm still in the gym or something." Like once every couple of months, I think that's a a really cool um it's almost a more noble way to train to not need to broadcast it and just to 
to do the work for the work's sake. Um, I think so. I think it's more of that warrior mentality. Yes. Yes. You get ready for battle. Yes. Okay. Another question for you. So part of having the consistency and grit that you had and accomplishing what you accomplished is the messiness of hard work and pushing, giving your best effort, energy focus on days when you really feel like doing the opposite. So as all athletes know, there are days where you have to go wake up at five to go work out or go to practice and you just don't feel good. You either have like a lingering sickness or you're stressed out in other areas. So do you have any tips or tricks for regaining mental balance, focus and energy on days when you don't feel when you're just not feeling right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think because I experienced this so much, even though I'm, I love hard work. I love getting after it. There's some of those mornings where you get up, it's five, it's cold. And this is the last thing you want to do. You just want to go back in bed. Um, I don't know if it's the healthiest way. One thing I, I do a couple of things. Normally I'd start off with the breaths. I'd wake up those mornings and, usually do it's so like a semi visualization prayer kind of get my mind right reset myself and Mm -hmm. then if it still wasn't helping i would just turn um i would turn that that lack of energy i try to turn into not anger but almost controlled aggression Mm -hmm. um like i said probably maybe not the healthiest way but i would try to take all this exhaustion or this lack of focus and just try to just ball it up into something that I wanted to it's like another it's like another person you're competing against against your you're competing against yourself mm. getting kind of cliche kind of cheesy but um, no 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 that's that's at the end of that's what it is it's yourself um, yeah. whether you didn't get enough sleep whether you're not hydrated enough whether you're hungry that's all in your head you can get over that shit um you got to focus that focus that into an aggression towards whatever you're doing and it doesn't have to be violent doesn't have to be negative yeah but something that you're gonna beat it's like an opponent an opponent you see someone across from you you see someone you see the team that you got coming up and that's an opponent you got to control that aggression focus that aggression so if you can turn that that exhaustion that lack of lack of motivation into aggression um, that's focused and controlled that that helped that helped me in my my experience um it's like you're squeezing your fists until they get they get warm and you feel some strength coming back it's something that's the best way i can describe it is yeah. squeezing your fists gritting your teeth and just um just getting ready so just did, getting ready to did go. you actually did you physically squeeze your fist until it got warm yeah I would, all that, I would do all that shit mainly because it was so cold and when i was playing at poly we'd have practice at 5 30 in the morning mm practice field was down was like three soccer fields back so you have to walk down a a turf walkway it was like a it was the walk of, oh, call it like walk of a thousand souls dude it was it was freezing we had wind coming down from the hills and it was Cal Poly's next to the mountain but and next to the ocean but you get the ocean breeze coming through some mornings about 40 degrees with heavy wind coming in about 15 20 miles per hour and it is the last place you want to be it does feel like you're going to war but hmm. i was squeezing my fists 
slap myself anything i could to kind of get ready kind of get it's like you're getting ready for a fight um yeah especially it, in your time at cal poly when you were battling for playing time right and a, a starting spot you don't have the luxury of having a a, a lackluster practice no um, I, I've, I, I've been there too where uh man you know like this could be my day where the guy i'm competing with is going to go 80 percent, and if i can if i can put if i can bring the 92 percent out of me it might be the difference in you know the starting spot that i'm that i'm aiming for no 100 percent. that's another thing like you channel that the lack of motivation you have and then you channel everything that you are you do have to compete against or compete with at that practice whether that's the team you're playing that week or the position you're fighting for you just mm. gotta think of everything that's at stake and um kind of put that into perspective that's yeah. huge especially when you're freezing and tired <laughs> yeah yeah okay what about playing through pain i uh you know i basketball players do their fair share of this playing through nagging injuries and pain and exhaustion but i i imagine that it's nothing like football and wrestling where basically everyone's injured all the time as far as i've heard and read about so what uh what was that like were you basically always hurt in some way like like you hear a lot of or i guess it could be exacerbated in the nfl when that when guys get older but what how much pain were you generally playing through do you have any examples of an injury that was especially tough to play through um and what did you do to overcome that yeah so um there's a i was always told there's a difference between being injured and being hurt Hmm. you can play if you're hurt so i was lucky to not be injured too much throughout my career i never tore an acl um never tore any ligaments broke i broke one bone i broke my broke my collarbone in seventh grade playing football that Hmm. was the biggest injury I had. So um, you were, so you were relatively uh, durable as far as linebackers go. It seems like. Yeah, and a lot of that was the work I put in, in the off season and during the season to keep my body. Whether it was a lot of stretching, mm-hmm. there was yoga, whether it was just the weight room. But uh, I was lucky too, because yeah. there's guys to do all the right stuff, and sometimes they get hurt. So I was lucky with that. With that said, um, I was hurt a lot. But nothing again, nothing too bad. My, I just anything, anything you can list. That's just a nagging injury. I probably had it. The worst, the most annoying one was my hamstrings. Um, mm. It was after that that mile and that appendix removal where I had a month where I couldn't do any um, any hard exercise. So I came in and that was the month. That was about a month and a half before we started camp at Butte my freshman year after high school Mm. and uh i came in i ran in a month i lifted heavy in a month and i have about a week to do what i can to get ready for conditioning camp which is one of the most intense things i've done because they push you they want they have so many guys coming out they want people to quit to weed out the weak weak (laughs) guys and it's like it's some military type shit and those guys those coaches are crazy but that's why they're good and I, i love that but um I wasn't ready, so I, I pulled my hamstring within the first two weeks up there my freshman year, and it was bad. Um, I was doing physical therapy an hour before every practice, stretching every time I could, heat, ice, everything. It was not going away. And the thing with hamstrings that suck is you can kind of run, but you can never run full speed, and it's mm. going to stick as long as you keep running on it. Mm. Um, so I was battling with that 
couple weeks later, I pull my other hamstring, so I'm limping around on bad hamstrings a week before the first the season actually starts. Hmm. Um, I wanted a red shirt, but they needed me for long snapping. And at that point, I wasn't starting. Um, at a bounce back from Boise State in front of me that I ended up beating out. But that was just because, again, it was that I kind of turned that. It wasn't a lack of motivation there, but it was a, I was starting to feel sorry for myself because I wanted a red shirt as a freshman. I thought I was going to waste a year of eligibility limping around with no hamstrings and just long snapping. I got yeah. this guy in front of me, but luckily I, I was able to turn that again into kind of that aggression, that pain into to controlled aggression and um, push that to end up becoming the starter and leading the team in tackles with two bad hamstrings that never really got fully back to where I wanted them to be. Mm. Um, and that was hard, man. That Whether it was the extra work I was putting in before every practice to stretch or just the, the constant um, reminder that I'm not able to be at my full 100% throughout the game, it was tough to battle with. I'm sure everyone's had issues similar. But yeah. Man, yeah. that controlled aggression helped me. Yeah, and also your, I remember this too from our workouts together. There'd be times where me, you, and Skarm would have already run you know, countless stadium stairs and we've done huge squats. We're just exhausted and I'm ready to go get dollar tacos with all my heart. Like every bone in my body is ready to leave. And you were very good about like, no, 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 we need to stretch. And you, Mm -hmm. you took stretching really seriously and you didn't like myself included. I think many athletes look at stretching as something that you do. You, you, You put it on the hierarchy below other important things but it seemed like you understood from an early age how important stretching was and you were very into yoga and very good at yoga. I remember doing that with you too. Do you think that your commitment to stretching is part of the reason why you remain so durable and had this and had this success that you had in college? A hundred percent. Um, at least with the durability part, like I said, I had the hamstring issues, but I was able to get those back. Mm-hmm. until the pro day after my senior season but again I think it's I kind of fell off my stretching routine then so mm-hmm. I think I really do attribute a lot of my my luck I don't want to say it's luck but a lot of my durability um to the stretching it I still every day I try to stretch whether it's a 20-30 minute yoga session or just the basic warm-up that our strength conditioning coach gave us that help poly to open up the hips and kind of get the blood flowing get things open um yeah it's it's huge man it's again overlooked i'll go through times where i'm overlooking it and then i notice it's a clear correlation that i feel i feel worse so stretching's huge yeah Um, if anyone's listening not stretching you got to you got to get on it because you're gonna take yourself you're gonna take yourself down the road for sure nice Okay, so how has your transition been out of sports? You, you kind of alluded to this already, just about how um, without the external pressure, and I've, I've spoken about this on other pods, but with, without the external pressure to be ready to perform, you don't have to wake up at 5.30 anymore to go run or to go compete. You don't have games coming up on the weekends. And as you've probably already experienced, you haven't been out of sports as long as I have, but civilian life, comes with a lot less pressure. I say civilian kind of in air quotes, because obviously we're not <laughs> military, but <laughs> so, non-athlete life um, 
it comes with a lot less pressure, which is, I appreciate it in some ways because I love having a little bit more freedom over my schedule and to be creative in other ways and explore new things. But it is, it comes with a downside in that it's easy to fall into, it's easy to lose track of some of the things that you kind of took for granted as an athlete that actually contributed to, you know, mental clarity, health, um, the kind of healthy intensity that we love as athletes, as athletes. Um, so how has your transition been out of sports so far? And, uh, it's, it's been hard. Um, but it's, it's been hard, but it's been re- really nice at the same time. Cause I, I was, I was going so hard for so long to have kind of a, a step to have a step back and be able to appreciate things and take things with, um, a little more, a little less of an intense approach. Um, it's been nice, but at the same time, we kind of get to the point where I'm missing that intensity. Um, mm-hmm. I started, I've always been in the weight room, so I did a little powerlifting type stuff, never competed in that. I started training jujitsu and just submission grappling type training, and that's been huge. It's kind of given me a foundation to work for. Uh, it's, I love it because it's a lot similar to wrestling in a lot of ways, and you kind of get that. Um, you get that that social part that I had with football with everyone at the gym. So that's huge. Um, mm-hmm. But the daily in and out of doing the the workout and that, that you don't have to be at is hard. Still get it, but not not that intensity that I used to. And I'm trying to chase it again. Jiu-Jitsu helped me get that intensity, but since the quarantine's been going on, I feel a little uh, a little cabin fever and a little yeah. lack of uh, motivation. So I try to just write my my goals, my, my workouts down now, even if it's at the house. Mm-hmm. I have a push-up, pull-up bar, some weights, kettlebell, write it all down. And if I don't get it done, um, by the end of the day, then, um, I feel like a piece of shit. So that's what helped me. Um, so do you write, uh, do you write down your workouts before the week or before the day? What is your before system? The day. Like? Okay. Before the day, but I think I want to start going before the week. Cause I've been, um, again, these last couple of weeks I've been slacking before all this started. I was back on my, on my grind cause I, I was hoping to compete in jujitsu um, soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to start going before the week. I can't do the daily stuff anymore because I'll get my daily stuff done. But if I don't feel like it when I'm writing it up, it's just not where I want it to be. But yeah. I think mean, that's just me being a psycho and going too hard, harder than I need to. But um, it's, been, it's tough because it's not given to you. you got to give yourself the work that you need. And whether it's physical athletic training or it's your actual work, your job, um, you have to give yourself your mindset, give yourself the schedule if you want to be successful. Yeah. yeah. And as, I mean, this is a, a, an odd circumstance because now we are in a, in a time where shit really matters and, you know, there are lives at stake and we have a role to play in this, um, coronavirus response. But in general, the, it seems like to me, it seems like one of the, the main challenges that we have in this society is too much comfort and too much security and too much, um, luxury. And 
I've noticed that if I go too long without physically suffering, if I then my mind starts to suffer. And so, and and that was something that was built into being an athlete. Every single day, except for maybe a day off here and there, I was you know physically miserable at least once a day. Um, and I didn't love that when I was doing it because it was constant, and I I let look I'd always look forward to the time where I could, you know wake up on a Wednesday morning and just enjoy my morning and then go to class and like be a normal person. But I do now understand how important that is. I think we've evolved to, to suffer physically and to move our bodies like that and to have some pressure, some healthy pressure. And when all of that's gone, it can, I think it can be mentally taxing. Do you agree with that? Yeah, big time. I think it, I love that, that little, that suffering, that word, because I feel like you need a little bit of pain to appreciate everything else. Because, yeah. uh, then we have a, we have a good. Um, yeah. Oh, I get. I can't go to the grocery store as much as I want anymore. I can't go to my gym, and but we, I mean, we still have a good man. Like that's, that's the thing that I'm constantly reminded of. And sometimes we have it, I feel like I have it too good where I'm not getting after myself the way I, I need to, to continue to better myself and continue to, um, get to where I want to be. Um, you can get complacent if yeah. you're, if you're in the good too much, you got to put yourself in that, in that pain, in that bad, in that, that suffering to kind of, to strive to, to keep going forward. So now you've started exploring a little bit with meditation too. How's that been going? Oh, it's been huge, man. It's it's part of that routine. Now I have a morning routine. I'll do a I have this app called it's called Romwad Range of Motion Workout of the Day. Um, pay a monthly subscription, but they have daily um, small athletic yoga sessions, about 20 minutes each. Uh, and that was part of my daily routine. I'll wake up, do that try to read for 30 minutes and then do whatever workout I can before work, which typically starts at seven. Um, I'm added, I've added that, that meditation, the, the Sam Harris waking up on Monday, I think 48, I said, mm-hmm. um, it's the last 48 days I've been, um, adding that to my daily routine. I felt, felt the difference I've carried over to work and, uh, even my, my physical stuff when I start, to get to a point where I'm not operating at full full capacity or I'm just feeling stressed, feeling overwhelmed, to take that breath and kind of reevaluate where I'm at. And it's it's been huge. It's a tool for sure. Nice man. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'll be interested. It seems like if you can apply some of the um the consistency and focus and the ability to do it when you don't feel like it to meditation, you could really make a lot of progress and I think it'd be interesting to see where that, uh, where that takes you. So maybe we'll, we'll, we can, next time you're on the podcast, we can, we can check in with your meditation practice. That's great. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, this has been great. Um, do you think we missed anything? Do we, do we cover it all? I think that's it, man. It was, it was good talking with you. I'm happy we could do this. Yeah, man. And, um, I'm sure this won't be the last time I'd love to connect with you. And we've spoken about doing an episode on, um, I think it'd be cool if you and I read, um, Sun and Steel by Yukio Mishima and spoke about, it's a book about, um, the philosophy behind weight training 
and he takes it way deeper than just where most people think of weight training and he has some really deep and kind of extreme ideas for why it's important to to lift weights and keep your body in shape so i think it'd be cool if you and i read that and then did a did a podcast episode on it if you're if you're into that Oh, I'm more than that. I need to find, I've been looking online, thrift books and everything, but it's like 60 bucks. Every copy I find, I don't know why it's so expensive. Um, yeah. For some reason, his books are, I mean, he's a, he's, you know, a Japanese philosopher and political leader. And he had some crazy fucking beliefs. I don't know what it is, but it's hard to get his books on Amazon. I found, I don't know if you have a Kindle. It's uh, some of his books are on Kindle or you okay. can, you can get like a PDF version. But um, I think that'd be really sweet to talk with you about because you're someone who also looks at weightlifting as more of a, this might sound loaded, but more of a spiritual thing than just trying to get big muscles. It's like a, it's really an, a deeper practice than that. And I love, I think that diving into some of what Mishima said about it would be cool. Oh, hundred percent. I need, I need to get on that. I'm, I'm looking for one that's under 50 and then I'm going <laughs> to, I might, I might try to just do the Kindle on an iPad. Just okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll help you look, or I could even loan you mine if, if we, I don't know, we might not see each other for a few years if this quarantine <laughs> yeah. goes on, but, uh, sure. we'll, uh, we'll make it happen then. How about you read it to me? I'll take notes. <laughs> okay. We do bedtime stories. Uh, <laughs> all right, bro. Uh, it's been really great talking to you. Excited to get this episode out and won't be the last time. So always good. Look forward to it. All Thanks, right. bro. Yeah. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, Sunday Sauce. Every Sunday, I'll send out a small piece of content that's related to the topics I'm researching and exploring on this podcast. It could be a quote or an image or a short video or a piece of my own writing. Just something small and digestible that I think is worth looking at. I'll also announce when new content comes out, so it's really the best way to stay up to date with what I'm doing. To subscribe, you can visit billyhansen.net forward slash sauce. You can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter, and those links are in the show notes. Other ways to support the show include leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, sharing with friends and family, or posting on social media. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.